Welcome to Media Tribe. I'm Shauna Kinnear and this is the podcast that tells the story behind the story. It's an opportunity for you and I to step into the shoes of the most extraordinary media folk who cover the issues that matter most. I used every morsel of my being to make sure that I was fully equipped to do what I wanted to do. It's not about thinking of one great idea and sitting back and hoping someone helps you make it. They're not. They're not going to help you make it. You've got to make it. Today I'm speaking to Basma Khalifa, director, filmmaker, writer and fashion stylist. Basma has directed short films for Apple and Facebook, and she recently made a BBC Three documentary about returning to her birthplace in Saudi Arabia. Basma, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, you're most welcome. It's lovely to finally meet you in person, kind of. Yeah, virtual in person. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Basma, could you tell our audience how you got into journalism and filmmaking? Your journey is certainly not predictable. Mm, No, it's not. I actually come from a styling background. I've been a stylist for about 10 years, uh, maybe a bit longer now, actually, about 10 years. And then I kind of went freelance after working at lots of different magazines. And from there, I just knew that there was sort of, just more that I wanted to do. So I was like, what else can I do? And I kind of want to tell stories and I want to tell them my way. I want to speak my truth. So um, it sounds like a really like easy, easy switch. And I just went into documentary making, but I didn't. It was a long road. I started vlogging. And then from vlogging, I went into sort of just talking to people about my ideas and eventually um, met an incredible incredible exec after meeting a billion execs as you do and um yeah he was like I believe in you and then we built up this idea um for my documentary which ended up going out a year and a half ago now but um yeah that was a three-year journey to get that documentary on the air but um yeah definitely didn't come from journalism but yeah I'm here now. So Basma the documentary you're referring to um is a BBC three documentary and whereby you go back to Saudi Arabia, where you were born. But before we kind of delve into, into that film, which is an amazing film that everybody should go and watch. It's on BBC iPlayer, but if you're like me and you're stuck in the US, you might have to source it on video. Do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about your background? So I was born in Saudi Arabia to Sudanese parents. Both my parents are Sudanese. I lived there till I was about two, I'd say, two two or three and then we moved to Northern Ireland I was in a little town called Lisburn which is just outside Belfast about six miles from Belfast there till I was about 13 then we moved to a little town called Dumfries in Scotland and I was there for four years and then I went to uni in Glasgow for three years in the middle of that in that stint well just before I moved to London I uh, moved to New York for six months and then I moved to London and I've been here ever since now a London girl so, I mean, this is a big question, but so your parents are Sudanese, mm. you were born in Saudi, mm-hmm. and then you kind of grew up in Northern Ireland <laughs> slash Scotland. Yeah. Do you identify as Northern Irish or Sudanese or, or, or I, as a Saudi? I identify as Northern Irish. If anyone asks me what I am first, I say Northern Ireland, and then I will be like, oh, but I'm Sudanese. But no, I don't identify as Saudi at all, because I just feel like it's kind of where your bloodline is. So I definitely say I'm like Irish Sudanese or Sudanese Irish, and everyone's always like, okay. Well, that doesn't make sense, but okay. 
Sure. Well, I love that because <laughs> when I was reading up, um, you know, the various um, articles out there about you, um, Basma, you were referred to as British. And I was like, oh, no. no. I was like, is she, is she, can we like, can we say she's Irish yeah, or Northern Irish? Irish? Northern Irish. <laughs> well, yeah. brilliant. Tell me, how was it growing up in Northern Ireland as a person of colour? I'm sure it was difficult. Yeah, I mean, I was the only, me and my two brothers and my mum and dad were the only people of colour in the whole, in the whole town, probably the whole Belfast as well. We were definitely the only black people in Ireland at the time, in Northern Ireland. Um, but it, to be honest, as a child, you only see differences when they're pointed out to you. I didn't, as a child, I didn't feel much different. I started becoming a bit you know, older and a bit more of a woman than a child. As a child, you know, they just kind of like whatever. I think the big thing for them almost was, you know, of course, religion, because, you know, obviously with Northern Ireland and for them wrapping their head around me being Muslim, it was almost like, we just are you Catholic or Protestant? Like, pick one. And I was like, well, I (laughs) I don't really know what to do here. So for so it was almost almost kind of like I was so alien that it didn't matter. Does that make sense? So I never felt any different until probably I got into high school. And then, you know, when all the pretty girls get fancied by the boys and you start liking boys and you want to be stick thin and blonde, but you're never really going to get to stick thin and blonde. Um, So that's when it kind of hit me that I was different. But I loved Northern Ireland. I loved how nice the Irish were. And I still like it just everyone is so, so nice. I never felt like I was much different. I probably feel more different in London, if I'm honest. Than I did in Northern Ireland. So yeah, no, I loved it. I had a great childhood. That's amazing. Well, that's great. It is really, really great to hear. Um, yeah. And actually, that it's such a valid point, you know, because obviously in Northern Ireland, you're asked whether you're Protestant or Catholic or people can probably identify your religion through your surname is, sure. you know, um, having, you know, very close friends who, who lived um, in Belfast as well. But yeah. so that was great. You just rocked up and you're yeah. like, I'm a Muslim, actually. Yeah. Honestly, like my friends and everything, no one ever, I would never felt, I mean, obviously with any school, I did get some forms of bullying and there was, you know, a few things about my skin color and bits and bobs here and there. And obviously, and I think my brothers had quite a trickier time, one of my brothers, but in general, I, I don't know if we could expect it anymore. You know, the internet didn't really exist back then. There was no, you know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all these things that make you see the rest of the world. At the time, we didn't have, we were on our Nokia's. So like what you see is what you got. So people just looked at us and they were like, okay, I don't I don't really know what to do with this. And then we just kind of kept it moving. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I love it. That's a brilliant attitude, Basma. Yeah. <laughs> so, so back to your your filmmaking and um, your career so far. You mentioned, you know, an exec at BBC, I'm assuming, who believed in you. Do you want to kind of, and you said it was a three-year journey. So, you know, pointed out to our audience, clearly, you didn't just rock up and they they commissioned an hour film about you. Um, do you want to talk us through that process and the graft, I'm yeah. sure, that went into that? Yeah, it- no, so it wasn't a BBC exec, actually. It was, um, I'd, I'd met, um, actually, I was on set styling one day and I'd met a talent agent of um, of one of the celebrities that I was styling. And she and I sort of was like, it was the first time that I felt like I should start talking about wanting to do TV because it's then and there that I realized that if you don't talk about the thing you want to do, it's not going to become a reality because no one can really help you. So I sort of talked to her about it because I didn't know her she was a stranger and she was like well two things she was like first of all you need to be able to prove that you can actually do it you can't just say you want to do something if you've got no proof and secondly you need to be talking to production companies and I was like okay like I'll you know I'll do that I'll I'll guess I don't really know what that means so start off with I bought a camera and I started well actually started with my iPhone and I just started vlogging I was interviewing 
black women in the fashion industry about what it's like to be black and in fashion at the time that also I was only like maybe four years ago and you didn't really talk about things like that four years ago it's not as open as it maybe even is now in 2020 let alone last year and um from there she also was like you should make a showreel also another accident not accident but I didn't need to spend a thousand pounds on a showreel I could have definitely definitely had someone make it for free like a little student but I did that and that was good practice and from there I used that as my way to sort of pitch to people so to be honest all I really did was I used to watch loads of documentaries and just write down all the people on the back end of it so all the people in the credits and then just contact them on LinkedIn I just kept on emailing people and contacting people and being like I'd like to talk to you I'd like to talk to you before that, it's because I'd, I'd emailed someone at BBC Three and said I'd really like to present something. And I can't believe he replied to me, but he replied and he was like, yeah, cool, but like you can't come straight to us. You have to go to the production company and they will come to us, which I always thought, and still to now, I think is strange because who can pitch you better than yourself? But that's the way TV works. And then, yeah, so I met an incredible man called Mickey Minstrati and um, he from day one was like, you know what, let's talk. We sat for three hours that day and he was like, we've got to make something. We'll figure it out. Let's make something. Let's talk about your story. You know, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm Northern Irish. And he was like, yeah, but who are you? Where are you from? And I was like, well, I was born in Saudi Arabia. And then blah, blah, blah. And I did that whole story. And he was like, no, no, wait, wait. Have you been to Saudi since you were born? And I was like, oh, no, no. I don't, you know, one day. And he was like, no, no, that's the story. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. But from then... He wrote it out, BBC Three, he pitched it to BBC Three and they were like, oh, we really like her, but um, why now, why her, you know, like, she seems nice, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. So it got rejected by BBC Three, I think, three times, four times? Really? Over about two years. Yeah, they just kept being like, why her, why her, why her? Um, we made a little sizzle reel that they really liked and they were like, okay, now we get why her, but like, why now? It doesn't make sense to do it right now. Um and then obviously Saudi Arabia got a new crown prince and all the rules were changing. So I was like, well, this is why, this is it. This is why now. It makes sense because all the rules are changing. Still, they rejected it. They were like, no, not right now, not right now. And then I found an event online that was like a meet the commissioner event. And um, I went to this meeting and I knew, I knew that was the commissioner we were pitching to. I was like, hey, um, I got an idea that stuck. I really, you know, hello. And he was like, I don't, he was like, I get like thousands of ideas a month. Could you get Mickey to re-email me? I know Mickey's a good guy. And I was like, yeah, yeah he's great. And, he, and I was like, yeah, sure. I went outside. I said, I phoned Mickey and I was like, can you email him again? And Mickey was like, yeah, sure. Um, he emailed again. And then about a week later, it was greenlit. Wow. That is such a great story. It's, and it's all about persistence. Um, well, my next question, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm teeing you up um, to answer this potentially and tell us a little bit more about uh, your brilliant film. But is there a story or a film that you're, you're very proud of in your career thus far? I mean, it will be that story. My thing with the Saudi Arabia story was that even though, I mean, I'm not going to ruin it for people who are listening in, but it doesn't end how it was meant to start. You know, it, it definitely was meant to be a journey about me figuring out if I could, you know, just going back to where I began, you know, where my life began and what's, what it's like there. I'd never been there since I was born. So it was it was a 25-year return was the whole kind of idea. Um, but because it, it didn't feel as heavy as I think it was in reality. So now looking back on it and watching it back and everything else, I mean, I wasn't watched it in a very long time, but when people give me feedback, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that's, a, that's quite a big deal. But at the time when I was just, you know, I'm with my family and with my little cousin, Jess, my director, who, um, you know, like she's so relaxed and so chill. So it didn't feel heavy. 
but the ending was heavy and I'm almost quite proud of my resilience. I didn't realize maybe how strong I was until you're put into, you know, a fight or flight mode. And that's how that felt. I'm very proud of it. As scary as it was and as full on as it was to know now that it's, you know, it's been syndicated worldwide. So to get feedback from people in like New Zealand and like Australia and different parts of America is just, you know, and it's in, it's in Dutch and it's in German, it's in French, it's in Arabic. It's mad to think that, you know, so many people are watching me. I'm, I'm quite a personal story about me. Yeah, I'm super proud of it. It, it's I mean I, I watched it again yesterday um, and it's just it's such a great film you're so great and warm and funny and, and cheeky but also just for our audience you traveled back to Saudi Arabia um, towards the end of 2018 so for context you know June 2018 um, women were given permission to drive for the first time ever in Saudi Arabia and then of course in October um, 2018 and we're coming up to Jabal Khashoggi's anniversary um, the journalist from the Washington Post was assassinated. So you were there in the thick of all of that, but you went back and, and as you say, you went back to meet your aunties and, and your little cousin and you lived with them for a, a time and, and you were kind of testing the lay of the land, whether you could live there. So um, not that I want to spoil the documentary, but mm-hmm. some brilliant scenes are when you... Some things um, happen. <laughs> some things happen. You, uh, you source if, what looked like a few good parties, kind of yeah. undergrad, the yeah. underground yeah. scene there. You try out driving you're potentially the first British slash Northern Irish woman to, to drive in Irish definitely Northern Irish woman to drive in Saudi Arabia and and also you try out Tinder um but you know did you feel like you were putting your family in danger I'm sure there were huge conversations that you were having at the time no to be honest no because we didn't do anything illegally everything was above board you know they knew about it we had a bunch of fixers the government knew about it we had a film company, everything was done. You know, even the cameras, Jess brought a camera with her, but we used a lot of their equipment. So there was nothing that I was like, oh, we're in trouble. Even when we went to the party and stuff, I mean, I got permission to go. I wasn't I, I wasn't there in secret. I mean, you see a scene where I'm coming home and they're like, did you have a good time? So I think the Western perception of Saudi um, is quite different to being on the ground. Obviously, there are a lot of things that are wrong. There's a lot of things when it comes to women's rights or whatever else that, you know, we you know, may not agree with, but day-to-day life isn't that dangerous. Day-to-day life, people are, are living. And, you know, my age anyway, people of my age are like hanging out, going to parties, kind of just living their lives. To a certain extent, I think Saudi is that kind of place that if you don't disrupt the system or you don't want to disrupt the system, you can live an okay life. I think if you want to be a bit more of a protagonist and change the system, I think that's where you probably land in a bit more trouble. Um, but every every country needs a protagonist, right? <laughs> Yeah, and you were definitely that for <laughs> for a week or so. But did you? I mean, what was the, your kind of personal conclusion after all of that? You kind of there was there were highs and lows. Did it feel like you could do it? Like it's very different to East London. Let's call a spade a spade. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's well, it's very different to East London. But the thing is, it's not that bad. Like to like, I wasn't. That's a, the most disappointing thing about leaving early. Um, is that I didn't hate it. By any means, I wasn't, you know, I was a bit frustrated at times and I was a bit like, oh, I just want to do what I want to do. And of course, that's a very Western mindset to be like, we can do whatever we want. Of course, that's maybe just not how it works there. But I didn't hate it by any means. I didn't think like, this is awful. I could never live here. It just, it's just different. Whether I could live there or not, I don't know because I don't know how much you can know in six days. But it wasn't the worst place in the world I'd been to for what I'd seen by day six. 
I want to talk about another film that you did really recently during Ramadan. Um, that was great. So that's something you directed. And I think that's, you know, indicative, I would say, of your career so far. You kind of seem to be able to do everything. But do you want to talk us through that as well? Because that seemed like a personal um, film for you as well. Uh, yes. So I um, I co-directed that one, actually. I co-directed a little film um, that was based around Ramadan. I don't to be honest, I don't publicly talk about religion that much. It's I've never been that comfortable talking about it. But um, Facebook came to me and they asked me to uh, co-direct this piece. And it was really wasn't what it was with just like a mythbuster. You know, just like to kind of say, you know, firstly, there are a bazillion, billion Muslims in the world. And we're all very, very different because everyone comes from a, like a different culture. Like Islam is a religion, is a religion, it's not a culture. So it was quite nice to sort of like be with these beautiful people. And we shot it three days before lockdown. Um, and sort of just tell a story and, and change the narrative because everything I try to do in any work, whether I'm in front, behind, or writing, you know, with the camera, is that I want to just like shift the narrative of stuff a little bit, you know, like let's just change this conversation a little bit and sort of question it rather than just being angry at it. That's even what I try to do with the Saudi thing. Let's let's just question this and try and understand rather than constantly coming up with our conclusions. And that's kind of yeah, that's what the Ramadan for Facebook piece was about and. I've just directed two pieces over quarantine, over quarantine, over the summer, uh, one for Apple and another one for Facebook. And they're all, all centered around, you know, I guess Gen Z, like young people and what they care about and what they want from the world. And yeah, I definitely, um, I've become the jack of all trades and I don't really know how I did that. I was, I was, really <laughs> over, I was the jack of one about five years ago and now I'm like the jack of five. <laughs> well, I, I, do you know what? I think that is such a good point because when, you know, I was researching you and granted, I really, I knew about you from your film in 2018, but I think you are so representative of the next generation of greats in our industry and, and kind of the way you it seems what you're doing is you're trying to shift perceptions in, yeah. in your work. Yeah. Um, and it's brilliant. I, I like you're, you're a black woman, you're a Muslim woman, and I'm going to say you're a Northern Irish. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I always try and say I'm black, but that's not all I am. I'm Muslim, but that's not all I am. I'm a woman, but that's not all I am. I don't think we have to be one thing anymore. And I don't think my identity has to be so set in stone that we walk away from it and being like, I know who she is. Cause I think that's, Actually, what I quite enjoy is that ambiguity of my, because I don't look the way I sound and I sound kind of weird. And, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't, she's not even that Sudanese because I don't look Sudanese. I look a lot more Ethiopian or Eritrean than I do Sudanese. So that ambiguity is probably why I challenge perceptions in general. And I think that's why when you're creative, it kind of helps actually seeing the world through my lens because I don't see it as one set thing because I'm not one set thing if that makes sense it absolutely makes sense I think it's brilliant you, you know you are bringing different perspectives um and that's what our industry needs isn't it I think that's why like that that's why your style and your filmmaking is so great because it's so bloody different from other things that are out there you know I think I think our industry is I'm hoping kind of experiencing a shift whereby people are beginning to realize that you know if we all see the world through one lens 
the world becomes a very problematic place exactly. and and, and the, the, some stories never get told and, and some voices um, we never hear from. So I think it's really, really important. One question I ask uh, all of my guests is if there is a crazy moment in your career that you'd like to tell us about that maybe, you know, we don't know the intricate detail of. It might be something from your, your Saudi film because um, I know you have one bonkers moment, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but give us some extra uh, juice and gossip that we don't know about already. <laughs> Well, I think that I think it is that. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, not to ruin the punchline and probably you can watch it to find out why it happened. But I think getting asked to leave Saudi Arabia wasn't ideal. Um, (laughs) Definitely, definitely one of those things in my career that I'm like, okay. And obviously, when you're filming a documentary and how the documentary comes about, you know, it's heightened with music and theatrics and cut screens and different sections or whatever. But in reality, when you're living it, like it was really full on and I think I come across really calm and collected in the dark and I watch it back and I'm like really zen really chill okay I gotta leave this is cool whatever but in reality I'm like freaking out really freaking out because it's also it wasn't freaking out because I was scared but it was freaking out because if you've built something up for almost like two to three years of your career and actually something you've wanted to do pretty much your whole life your whole career you're meant to be out there to do a mission you're out there to you know, get content to make a documentary. So to have to leave after six days, it wasn't necessarily about being scared that I had to leave. It was more like, oh my God, I don't have a documentary. It's over. Everything I build up to is over. It's done. And I think that was so hard to take because it felt like everything I'd done had just fallen apart. So I think that was really, really hard for me to take. And I came back to London from filming and remember I landed in London and I I couldn't get out of bed for like a week. I remember my flatmate was like, should we go to Morrison's? Like, let's go to Mor- like, let's go to Morrison's. And I was like, I just want to cry for days. And I wow. literally, I cried nonstop for a few days. And Jess Blesser, my director, went straight into the edit to try and salvage what we had. And I left London. I went and stayed with my family um, outside of London for a little while because I just was like, I've ruined it. I've ruined this whole thing. It's over. So coming back to London and knowing that we had enough to make a documentary, I mean, even BBC three were like, okay, it's okay. We'll just turn it into a 20 minute, 30 minute thing. It's okay. You know, these things happen. I was like, no, no, (laughs) but to get what 52 minutes out of it. I don't even think it's, I don't even know how long it is around that around an hour is beyond my expectations, but it's the credit to having an incredible director and one thing that I made sure, well, she made sure and I made sure that we did it, is that we filmed everything. We filmed bedroom chats. We filmed little giggles. We filmed like all those little things that you see. It was just me like chatting to her. Thank goodness. One yeah. epic director because she caught moments that I wouldn't even know she was catching. Well, that is, and her name is Jessica Kelly. She really is a brilliant director. Uh, people should look her up um, and watch all her films. But I actually, that's really, that's such a, it's a great insight. Do you want to tell our audience why you were kicked out? I, we're going to ruin it. These people are there going to watch it. They'll 100% watch it because um, <laughs> nobody has seen the, the party scene in Saudi. Yeah. It, it was kind of shocking in itself. Yeah. I was shocked when you were when you were kicked out. I was like, no, come on, guys. Yeah, I, mean, I felt the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could tell you were upset um, as well, Basma, and rightly so. Yeah, so I got chucked out. Um, chucked out. I got asked to leave Saudi Arabia because I mentioned the name of a female journalist that they um, didn't want me to talk about. I think they had, the un, maybe under the impression, maybe we'd, Maybe we led them that way. I don't feel, I feel like we were pretty transparent, but they felt like we were almost coming over 
I guess, more travel show-esque. To sort of be like, hey, look at the new Saudi. Whereas, like, I wanted to know what it would be like as a woman living there. And to know what it's like as a woman living there, you kind of have to backtrack a bit and be like, okay, what are the women before me? As you should do. So um, we mentioned the name of a female activist and got overheard by our cameraman. And he went back and told the government official and um, they pulled the filming permission that night. And then we're like, get out of here. So we left. So we basically got chucked out. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. And that was during the driving scene. Um, and this one of the, this activist was somebody who had been pushing for female yeah. drivers to have the right to drive, right? Exactly. So it was totally relevant in the moment for you to, you know, for a current affairs documentary. I guess it really illustrated the climate and the, the time um, when you were in Saudi, when, you know, they were really in the news all the time, uh, uh, you know, so it was extraordinary to even get in at that yeah. point, Basma. So talk to me, what, what's next for you, Basma? Well, I think that's the thing we talked about when it's like um, a jack of all trades. Because <laughs> I definitely think I didn't plan to become a director as much as I maybe have done. I have really enjoyed it. It'd be nice to sort of like learn that, that realm of it. And I think it will help me with making documentaries as well. But we're definitely talking to um, lots of very like UK-based channels about um, making some docs, which I'm quite excited about. Hopefully by 2021, I'll be out and filming again. And then um, directing more. It would be nice to direct some maybe longer lead stuff maybe write a little bit more, maybe even think about writing a script. You know, all these little things I didn't realize I could do, all these things I didn't know I could jump into in a sense and learn about. It's been really exciting to do that. But I think my love lies with being in front of camera right now and I haven't flexed that muscle enough. Obviously COVID happened and everything got shut down for this year, but hopefully, fingers crossed, 2021, I'll be back on the screen. Well, I'm sure we'll see um, plenty more of you, Basma. I'm, I hope we will. Do you have a message to, to younger journalists who listen in in your story? Because it is really quite inspirational. People, you know, I get calls all the time about, you know, how should I break into journalism and do I need to do this degree? And you're such a great story to show that actually you can really zigzag your way into a into a great career here. I'd say for any, yeah, for any journalist listening in, if you want to be in front of camera or actually indeed if you want to be behind camera is... Find a story that only you can tell. The thing about my Saudi doc is even though it was frustrating that it took maybe two, three years to get off the ground, in the end, I wasn't that scared about it not coming off the ground straight away because I knew no one else could tell that story. That's my story. There isn't any other Northern Irish girls who were born in Saudi Arabia and, you know, live from Sudan and grew up in Northern Ireland. It's my story. And if you can find a story like that, that's just yours and you can tell that narrative, it means that you can tell it in a way no one else can. And as soon as you can figure that out, it means that that's the beginning of your journey. You need to always think of authenticity in that sense. Even if it's not your story, if it's someone else's story and you want to tell that story, you work with that person so they can make sure you get the intricate details that no one else can get. Because I think why my documentary did well is then I had aunts who lived there and they were all women. And then there's a little baby cousin who's also a girl. And it became this, it's a complete female cast. There are, there are no men except for obviously our fixers. And there was something quite genius in that. So I think my advice definitely is find something that truly only you can do. Because if it's authentically your story, it will stick. And uh, such a cliche, but I didn't give up. But I veered in different directions. I didn't spend two or three years being like, oh, like if this kicks off, I've got to wait for around for this. I didn't. I was still styling. I was still writing. I was thinking up of more documentary ideas. I was buying, saving up to buying cameras to learn more skills on how to use a camera. I was learning how to self-shoot. 
I was talking to more people. I was networking. I used every morsel of my being to make sure that I was fully equipped to do what I wanted to do. It's not about thinking of one great idea and sitting back and hoping someone helps you make it. They're not. They're not going to help you make it. You've got to make it. Amazing. Well, I don't think anybody could put it better than that, Basma. Pat, you're such a legend. I can't wait to see you on screen again. Thank you so much for coming on, Basma. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for having me. If you liked what you heard on this episode of Media Tribe, tune in next week as I'll be dropping new shows every week with all sorts of legendary folk from the industry. And if you could leave me a review and rating, that would be really appreciated. Also, get in touch on social media at Shauna on Twitter or at Shauna Kinnear on Instagram and feel free to suggest new guests. Right, that's it. Until next week, see you then. This episode is edited by Ryan Ferguson.